Today on Ag News Daily. I was super fortunate to meet my co-founder and come to understand the challenges that we face in agriculture, just in terms of the sheer demand and also really how the costs are skyrocketing. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy 2-2-2-2-2. (laughs) Ashton, this week is a palindrome, in case you didn't know. I didn't know. I mean, I knew. Is that the one where it's like the same backwards and backwards? Yes. Yes. So today is obviously all twos, which is supposed to be like a lucky day. And then tomorrow is two, two, three, two, two. So it's four, same. I I can't talk, but same forward and backwards this entire week. So it's kind of interesting. It is interesting. It's still kind of mind boggling. I don't know. Doing all those same numbers at I don't, I don't know if I have dyslexia, but I cannot read numbers correctly for some reason. So it's actually a pretty simple week for me. <laughs> well, I think dyslexia is with words. I feel like if it was numbers, it would be something else. I just don't know what that is. That's a, that's a good point. But whenever I read markets, you know, it comes across good on the final cut, but I have to edit out so much of it because I just can't seem to read numbers correctly. That's fair. Numbers are hard, especially if you are a journalist person. You like words probably more so. But I tell you what, today might be supposedly a lucky day, but it doesn't seem that way when you look at the world scene. We are just getting breaking news as of 1.30 Central Time this afternoon. While we are recording this podcast, President Biden is making some live remarks. I'm not obviously watching it or you'd hear it in the background But making some remarks right now that he is saying the invasion of Ukraine has begun and he is apparently going to address the Russian troop movement this afternoon. And so we will see what happens there. But like I said, I'm not watching it live. I would be if we weren't recording the podcast. So what great timing that that has while we are recording. But that's continuing to weigh really heavily on a lot of different markets, Ashton, and is going to certainly cause a lot of question marks moving forward ahead of today's market close. Wheat had a last minute bump in this anticipation that was going to be today's announcement closed about not quite 50 cents higher across the board, more like 40 cents higher across the board. So certainly all anticipation has been waiting today's announcement that we would be or that we would see an official invasion. Well, Delaney, I'm anxious to see what President Biden has to say and really how the rest of the world is going to react to this bit of breaking news here. But unfortunately, we're going to have to wait to discuss that even further until tomorrow as, you know, that is rolling out live here. But in other news, we have some news coming out of France concerning antibiotic usage in market animals. France adopted a decree earlier this morning banning imports of meat from animals treated with growth antibiotics. This practice has been prohibited in farming within the European Union since 2006, and this move would mainly affect the poultry market. France is anticipating a European Union-wide measure that had been due to enter into force late last month, but was delayed by missing legislation on sanitary checks. 
So this French ban will be effective on April 22nd, and it gives professionals two months to obtain an assurance from their suppliers that meat does not come from breeding using growth antibiotics and to modify their supply chain if needed. And, you know, Delaney, the the debate on antibiotic usage in, you know, animals that are used for human consumption has been a, a growing one. And I feel like it hit its peak and now we're just seeing more and more people kind of adopt these anti-antibiotic practices. But I've got to say, I'm a little bit passionate about this just because a lot of the antibiotics that we use back home, you know, they have a certain withdrawal period. So I kind of don't understand where people are coming from when they argue this. That's a good question. And I I think people don't understand because they probably don't know the industry or don't know about withdrawal times and are people that are making these assumptions or assertions that don't understand the business of raising livestock. I completely agree. And, you know, a lot of people talk about the science behind these kinds of things, but science goes into these labels on withdrawal periods. So I don't know, I'll get off of my soapbox when coming to those kinds of things. But what other news do you have for us today, Delaney? Well, Ashton, speaking of poultry news, JBS has formally withdrew its proposal to purchase all of the shares of Pilgrim's Pride. So to back up a little bit, JBS was seeking to purchase the shares of U.S. chicken producer Pilgrim's Pride. It does own some already, but it was looking to buy up the entire share. And In a letter sent to Pilgrim Pride Board of Directors, JBS already owns roughly 80% of Pilgrim's Pride and was proposing to buy out the remaining 20% for about $26.50 a share, 17% higher than the trading price on Thursday when the letter was sent. But Brazil says that now moving forward, they've decided not to move forward with the purchase because they were unable to come to an agreement with the special committee of the Pilgrim Pride Board of Directors about the terms of the potential transaction. So they have decided to back off for now, at least. And after the news that the deal was off, Pilgrim's Pride stock price fell by more than 16% in after hours trading. Well, I have another piece of poultry news here, Delaney. It's kind of a two-parter as we're still following the bird flu issues, you know, really across the globe here. So this first piece is coming out of the Philippines, as their ag department said today, that it had recently detected outbreaks of bird flu in some duck and quail farms near the capital. These are some of the latest cases involved in the H5N1 strain, and I think that it's important to note that a lot of these cases that we have been reporting on are the H5N1 strain, not the H5N6 strain that has really been found in outbreaks during recent years, but both are are highly pathogenic, and I think that we're seeing this, especially here in the U.S., because we have seen a couple of more cases here on our home field. We've now seen nine cases of the H5N1 strain in some more eastern parts of the U.S. here, Delaney. So that's really just the latest I have here, still following that bird flu case or those bird flu cases, I should say. Yeah, there's been a lot of bird flu cases as of lately, Ashton. But this is one thing I failed to mention. I don't think I mentioned it, I should say, on the podcast last week, and that is looking at the worst drought in the American West in more than 1,200 years, Ashton. Did we talk about this last week? 
We did not talk about this last week, but I saw this headline as well, but I could not believe it. I know I couldn't believe it either. But last week when I was doing some last minute research and reading ahead of my speech last week in Minnesota, I came across this article talking about this as well. And it's now really starting to be picked up by ag publications as well. But yeah, the American West is having its worst drought in 1200 years, which, you know, I I question how do they know it's the worst in 1200 years? Because we obviously didn't have the science and technology even 100 years ago that we have today. But the other thing that I think is interesting that we haven't really talked about is it's actually been considered in drought for the last 22 years, Ashton. And that really hurts my heart to think about because there's so much that relies on, you know, obviously water, you know, from livestock production, crop production, just the environment. So it really blows my mind, breaks my heart. I don't know. It just has some kind of large reaction on me. It does, because especially as you think about those folks out West, obviously there's some crops growing out there as well, but it's also a very large cattle country, ranching country, really. And so I read a couple articles that a lot of folks out in that area, you know, you're talking Wyoming, Montana, et cetera, that have a lot of big ranches have had to ship cattle back towards the Midwest or eastward to try and find available resources for their livestock because they just don't quite frankly have it out there between probably lack of hay, lack of grazing. You know, you look at this year, I've talked to quite a few folks from around the country and there's still just a lack of moisture overall, Ashton, when we look at snow coverage this year, which is of course going to deplete that subsoil moisture heading into planting season. So we've got that going on stateside, but then of course you turn your attention down to South America and here's another headline talking about how hot and dry it's been in South America, or I should say more specifically, Brazil and Argentina. After one of the driest mid-February periods in more than 30 years across most of southern Brazil and Argentina, we've finally seen some much-needed precipitation for that neck of the woods, but it doesn't signify a significant change in moisture levels overall. So it was just really a temporary reprieve for those producers down in those Latin American countries. But yeah, they've had the driest February period in 30 plus years down there. Well, Delaney, I just have one other piece of news that I wanted to mention here. And I I say it's a piece of news. Really, it's a, a feature story that I was really interested in when I was doing some reading today. And it is concerning Michelle McBride, who worked with the University of Wisconsin Center for Dairy Research to create Good Sport. Good Sport is an electrolyte-filled beverage made with ultra-filtered milk, and it is the first, I believe, milk-based sports drink. And I thought that this was really interesting. You know, I'm not a big sports drink kind of person. I am a coffee person, but, you know, things like Red Bull and Monster kind of freak me out a little bit, but I didn't know that milk-based sports drinks could even be a thing. And it sounds like McBride was kind of on that same thing. She wanted something that was a new challenge, a new idea. And she says, like all entrepreneurs, that she wanted to make 
everything happened faster, but the response has been overwhelmingly positive, you know, from the launch, the research, everything like that. It seems pretty interesting that the journey that her and the research team have really gone through. But McBride says that in less than a year, Good Sport has gone from online sales to some retail shelves, including some new locations on the way. I don't know if it'll make it down here in Texas, but I might have to order something online just to see what the taste is like. You know, I can't imagine that it tastes similar to a Red Bull or a Monster. You know, those are fizzy and a little artificial, I will say. So I don't know. I thought this was pretty interesting. Yeah. And I hear where you're coming from, but actually, if you think about sports drinks, I think of like protein milk or muscle builder. That's not the name of it, but there's different protein shakes that are, I think, largely dairy based drinks. So actually this makes sense to me. And I also, people are going to, you can at me on Twitter if you think this is gross, (laughs) but after I work out, I actually love drinking chocolate milk. It's one of my favorite like post-recovery drinks because it gets me quick protein, quick fat and rehydration all in one, all in one bang. You know what? I'm glad that you said that because we were totally thinking of two different things, Delaney, but I think that's why we complement each other so well. Two different perspectives here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. That is very true, Ashton. Very true. But I tell you what, I am out of news for today. Other than chat and markets, what do you say we hop into it here? Let's do it. Fantastic. Well, We certainly had an exciting move today in the grains markets, especially with that last minute news today before wheat closed significantly higher on the day with the now very real threat that Russia is going to invade Ukraine and how the U.S. response to that is going on right now as we're recording the podcast. I'm sure we'll have time to chat about it tomorrow. But in the meantime, let's kick things off here with wheat. Chicago March contract today added 47 and a quarter cents to close at 8.44 and a quarter. The May up 48 and a half cents to close at 8.52 and a half. Soybeans had major moves today as well, with the March contract adding 33 and a half cents, closing at 16.35. The November up nine and a half cents, closing at 14.73 and a quarter. In the corn pits today, March added 20 and a half cents to close at 6.74 and three quarters. Dees added eight cents to close at 6.05 and three quarters. Hopping over into the livestock markets today, we certainly saw green across most of the screen today, aside from the feeder cattle market, but February live cattle up 50 cents to close at a buck 43.75, the April up 15 cents, ending the day at 146.02, and the June up 40 cents, closing at 141.90. Feeder cattle showed weakness today as the March contract shed $1.20. Closing at 164.22 and a half. The April down $1.72 and a half, closing at 169.12 and a half. And in the lean hog markets today, the April contract added 267 to close at 112.07. The May up $2.30, closing the day out at 115.65. Lastly, wrapping things up here, Ashton with the class three dairy milk futures. March today up five cents to close at 22.45. The April up four pennies to close at 22.85. Without further ado, Ashton, we have a very exciting announcement that we are previewing here on the Ag News Daily Podcast today for the fruit and vegetable industry for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday interview. (laughs) 
Well, folks, for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday conversation, as we mentioned, we're talking today about some really exciting technology that's just hitting the marketplace for some specialty growers. Chatting today with Gabe Sibley of Verdant Robotics, who's the co-founder and CEO. Gabe, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, Delaney Ashen, thanks so much for having me. Excited to share the news. So Gabe, you have spent a long career in the geospatial industry and AI industry, from what I understand, which might be a little bit different to some of our ag listeners about what that is and what that means. So tell us a little bit more about your background and how you work with geospatial computation. What is that, first of all? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. Uh, so my background is in robotics and computer vision and machine learning. All of the technology that's needed to endow mobile autonomous robots with the capability they need to operate independently from humans for long periods of time. So this is things like Mars rovers or you know, military robots, uh, self-driving cars. So it's that fundamental software and hardware that enables machines to operate independently uh, without human oversight, long-term autonomous operation. So Gabe, as we've kind of clued into our audience, there is some news coming out from the company today. So why don't you go ahead and, and make that announcement and tell us more about expanding your commercial offering? Yeah, thanks so much. So today at Burton, we're pretty excited to announce that we're expanding our robot as a service offering to more specialty crop growers, uh, both fixed and specialty row crop. So this provides the first multi-action robot capable of millimeter precise spraying of inputs of all types, as well as laser weeding, and really critically AI-based digital crop tracking and modeling. So together with our, our partners, our farming partners, this enables us to deliver better outcomes, such as larger produce, increased yields, obviously significant savings, and really most importantly, transformative new revenue that just wasn't possible before. So you mentioned the robot as a service model, and I've heard about the software as a service model. So how does that really compare and what's the difference that we're seeing there? Yeah, so my co-founder was, uh, he's a farmer, so you know, the better half of the business comes from the farming community. He was the head operator for the world's largest tomato growing operation. And so with that DNA, we recognized that it was very important for us to have skin in the game to make sure that the technology delivered on the promise. And the technology is evolving very rapidly right now. If someone gives you hardware and drops off the keys and walks away, it's likely going to be obsolete, you know, in less than a year. And so we decided that it was much better to offer a service where we really work tightly with our growing partners to move that technology from prototype into production and then rapidly keep it upgraded as it changes uh, to really uncover that value jointly with the farmer, but also to make sure that uh, you know, they're not left with technology that's obsolete and that they're really supported and that we're finding that value together with our boots dirty on the ground. So Gabe, as you mentioned, the space that you're in with geospatial and AI has really, especially here in the ag industry, blossomed over the past you know, five, 10 years with now the promise of potentially having autonomous tractors and combines and all of that stuff. So I got a two-part question for you. One, how did you find yourself within the ag space specifically? And two, 
looking at Verdant Robotics, you are obviously working with vegetable and fruit growers. Tell us a little bit more about the technology that you've developed. What exactly is someone going to get from the company? Okay, so yeah, two parts to the answer then. How did I get here? Well, uh, I've spent a long time, you know, decades trying to figure out how to enable autonomous systems to do things of value. Uh, and traditionally, that was for space and military applications. And then more recently, self-driving cars was an area that was pretty hot, but that's still taking a long time to come to fruition. So then the question is, how do we find something meaningful and valuable where the technology can help more broadly? And I was super fortunate to meet my co-founder and come to understand the challenges that we face in agriculture, just in terms of the sheer demand and also really how the costs are skyrocketing and labor availability is such a major problem. And it's so clear that if we didn't find a solution, that it was going to be very painful and that it was urgent. Um, so we were super excited about that challenge and the opportunity. Uh, and for me, it's just wonderful because, you know, my life's work has a real meaningful application and I'm loving working with farmers. I love working outside. Uh, you know, I'm an outdoorsman. I love mountain biking and climbing and, and skiing and surfing. And uh, my work before has never brought me outside. It's always been in a basement where the only you know light we get is from the electron glow of a screen. So this is a much more holistic endeavor. Um, and that actually is one of the reasons why we've been able to recruit such phenomenal talent is because it's a meaningful thing to spend our time doing as also, you know, totally engaging from the intellectual front to field autonomous machinery to do work for us. Uh, it's just this work is really great work to do. So that's a little bit about the background and how we got into farming um, and why we're super excited to be in the space. Um, now, what exactly do we offer? It was your second question. So we have the ability to deliver inputs extraordinarily precisely and also to understand the state of the crop very accurately. So uh, let me give you an example. Um, you know, computers could do superhuman things. Um, they can multiply numbers faster than we can. Uh, you know, Google can index the web and all the world's librarians couldn't build that digital index. It's just, you know, in their wheelhouse. What we do is we index physical space. So sub-centimeter geometric models that we track over time, as well as machine learning and object recognition to classify the state of all of the physical uh, physiology that we see. So, you know, we could provide you a time-lapse video of every apple in an orchard and index every single one and, and watch it grow from bud through to harvest. So we digitize the crop first, you know, we index the, the farm, build that digital twin. Second, what we do then is deliver the inputs that guide the growth. So when a blossom opens, we know to deliver pollen. When another blossom opens, we know to deliver, you know, a, a fertilizer, which ironically can make a blossom infertile. So that understanding over time allows us to control outcomes by specifically millimeter precise delivery of input. And so then this ultimately lets us uncover better outcomes. And that's the last part of what we do. So I hope that is a specific enough answer. I'd be happy to elaborate. Gabe, you know, we talked a little bit about specialty crops here at the beginning of our conversation. So what crops sectors of the ag industry are you working in today? So Verdant operates in specialty row crops as well as specialty fixed infrastructure crops. We started in apples, uh, did work in peaches and cherries, uh, stone fruit, 
And then the specialty growers here in California got our attention, asked us for help, and we were able to take that technology that was pointed sideways at the orchard wall, pointed at the ground, train new computer vision models, and deliver value for the specialty growers here in California and the Southwest. We're generally, so we're in garlic, and we're in onions, and we're in carrots, we're expanding into leafy greens, and we're also, again, active in apples where we started. Um, so it's a variety of specialty crops today. And Gabe, we've kind of beat around the bush a little bit with this, but in its current form today, as it's gathering all of these different computer images, spatial images, is the technology spraying chemicals? Is it harvesting? What capabilities does it have? Okay, so we don't harvest. We do spray chemicals. Uh, we also spray photons so we can shoot lasers when we need to. We have technology there and patents in that space. Um, but really, there's this huge canvas of things you can do when you're talking about input delivery. Uh, water, fertilizers, pollen, uh, growth hormones and growth regulators, uh, insecticides, fungicides, herbicides. So there's this large canvas of inputs that we have to help guide outcomes. And really, it's this millimeter high-speed spraying uh, with millimeter accuracy that allows us to do that you know, carrots, for instance, are about an inch apart. You have to be very precise to, say, hit a weed and not hit a carrot. Uh, and it's that very high precision spraying that we bring to bear. Well, Gabe, we certainly appreciate your time today. Before we let you go, if we have some specialty growers listening who want to learn more about the technology and see if it's a good fit for their operation, where can they go to find more information? Great. If you want to know more about Verdant, uh, you know, Delaney Ashen, thank you so much for your time. I would love to point your viewers to verdantrobotics.com where they can get in touch with us. And we're happy to work with specialty crops and growers of all sizes. Um, you know, our, our goal is to unlock and what we've shown we can do is that, that superhuman outcome that comes from applying computation to the problems in agriculture. Uh, so please reach out, let us know, and we'd be happy to engage. We're expanding our offering today and we're excited. Fantastic. Well, Gabe, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. Ashton, Delaney, thank you so much. again there to Gabe for coming on and chatting with us today. Certainly appreciate it. An interesting Tech Tuesday again on the books here, Delaney. And we have some really interesting things coming up for our future Tech Tuesdays. We have them really scheduled out ahead of time this time around. So folks do tune in to agnewsdaily.com to stay on top of our Tech Tuesdays and all of our other episodes. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.